Sonic States. Hello everybody, welcome. Sonic Talk number 212. Today is Wednesday, 23rd of March, recording live. SonicState.com forward slash live, 4pm every Wednesday. You'll find us here, represented with our little Celebrity Squares video setup that we have here. Um, and you can see that I have my guests with me. There's also, um, please join us in the chat room, because we have the live video stream, and then uh, a very lively chat room kind of scenario going on. Uh, SonicState.com forward slash live, 4pm UK time, as I've already said. But thank you very much everybody for joining us um, we'll start uh, to my top left with dave spears there in the uh, the synth den from g4 software how are you dave i'm all right thank you and you yeah i'm good thank you very well it's a lovely sunny day here feels like spring is in the air and uh, gaz you're looking like you've actually been out in the sun there you're looking very summery already how are you yeah it's been it's a lovely day in the uk today well, it is it's certainly in bristol today um it's fantastic but the the sunglasses are not for i'm just trying to get used to them at the moment because i've got to do a gig in them and i've just been rehearsing with sunglasses on just to try and uh, <laughs> not drop too many uh, notes or that's right. Well, uh, Gaz, so, Gaz, there, um, songsurgeon.co.uk, Bristol-based Welsh producer. And uh, did I say g4software.com for Dave Spears? I hope I did. But if I didn't, I've said it again. And uh, finally, on the right-hand side, and uh, resplendent in red, there's Rich Hilton from Connecticut, who is uh, the studio guy's producer, engineer, outstanding player uh, for Noel Rogers and his uh, private studio. How are you, Rich? Um, good. I don't have to live up to all of that. Well, you know, I'm sure it's no real problem for you. Uh, I seem to have lost yeah, loads sure. of windows on my... Uh, well, never mind. I've got so many screens here. I'm still getting used to the live video thing because I'm running across two computers and across four screens to make this happen and, and multiple sound cards and various different delay feeds and all that sort of thing. But anyway, uh, Sonic Talk number 212. Uh, thank you very much, everybody. Now, uh, let's have a look. We'll have a better look at the show notes and see what's going on. Ah, of course. Now, I did have a clip to play for this. Oh, Gaz is gone. Um, I did have a clip to play for this. You've got, you've got Mark waiting as well, by the way. Oh, have we? Gaz is gone, so I don't know where he is. All right, let me just go and add Mark. Like your shot there, with the love thing in the corner. Uh, Gaz, right. Um, let's go and try and get Gaz again, then we can get the final layout all sorted out. This is scintillating airtime <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> Thanks for hanging in there. Um, oh, my goodness. He's all striking. Ah, there we go. That's it. Well, anyway, let's get on quick while we got the chance. So, basically, what I was going to say is uh, we got the news that there's the new Spectrasonics um, Moog Tribute release, which is a new Moog instrument. I did actually, I went in search of the video that was done by Hans-Jörg Scheffler, uh, which was the voice of Bob Moog, but it's been pulled down and gone private, so I couldn't play that. So, uh, I'm afraid that's not in, (laughs) unfortunately. But, um, essentially, this is the news that uh, there's been a kind of tribute instrument. It's 100 bucks. Uh, It's got 700 stunning new sounds from Atmosphere from 40 of the top the world's top synth artist remixes and sound designers 100 bucks all proceeds go to the bob moog foundation now dave how does it feel to be um, to, to be amongst that 40 although i didn't see your name in the actual kind of listing of everybody else it got to diego stocky danny elfman and the moog cookbook was the last one on the list so yeah <laughs> where, where does that put you <laughs> yes in the terminally average category i suspect <laughs> Uh, Tell us yeah. about it then, because you must know more about it than anybody else, seeing as you actually did stuff. Yeah, well, I haven't heard the final version yet. I did buy it yesterday, but I haven't uh, managed to download it as yet. But uh, by all accounts, from the people who have bought it, it sounds pretty awesome. And working on it was great. I mean, blimey. Eric kind of emailed and asked, uh, myself and Tara, and we, I kind of said, look, you know, obviously we're a bit chaotic here, but I'll do whatever I can. Uh-huh. And it was great because it gave me this really fantastic opportunity. In fact, I think I alluded to it last week that I've been spending about a week with Omnisphere. So it was gave me this really good chance to get really deep with it, you know, in terms of all the kind of modulation stuff and to try and make some decent sounds. And hopefully uh, we've succeeded. So what do you have to do? Do you have to just program it or did you put your own waves in from Moog? sources how did how did it work there was a choice uh, i think for participants they could either upload uh, samples themselves but i couldn't do that because as you saw the state of this place is pretty chaotic <laughs> and so essentially i worked with a library that was downloadable and um just created patches from what was there 
Ah, oh yes, I'm being asked to close my win left window. There we are. We'll see more video. There we are. Um, let me just move myself. Well, that sounds pretty good. Was it, I mean, it was. I, I was asked to get in touch with a few people and try and get people in, but it was a little bit short notice. I, I think Aid Utley was uh, said yes, but it was like two days before the deadline, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure whether he got in or not. I didn't see his name in the uh, in the list, so uh, I'm not yeah. sure. But I now yeah, have. I now actually have a copy of Omnisphere. Um, which well, I haven't hey. installed yet. It's still in the white wrapper. <laughs> so I'm going to install that and enjoy that a little bit. But it's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, all of this is go it's all tied in also with the uh, OMG1 instrument. And uh, th there's a competition that goes with it. If you buy the uh, cool. the library, download it, and make some tunes using it, and then upload those, they get entered to a competition, and the winner wins the OMG1, which is, as we know, is the uh, sort of ridiculously over-the-top uh, li little fatty with iPads and various other things built in uh, by Eric himself. And you get flown to Moogfest in October. I think the deadline, let's have a look, the deadline is... Uh, uh, 15th of July, I think. 15th of July. So you've got plenty of time to get some tunes up. I want to win that. I want to win that OMG one. <laughs> it does say that you're allowed to enter more than one track, and knowing the rate at which you compose, Gaz, you might be able to sort of smother the opposition just by making it impossible to listen to anybody else's tune because you have all of the entries. That's a great idea. I've already started working on one already. Have you? Um, cool. I, I, I bought it yesterday, the uh, the pack, and uh, I've been playing with it a lot yesterday and today, and it is really, really terrific, and uh, um, lo lots of really good and inspiring sounds, and just, uh, I think it's it's definitely, definitely worth getting for anybody who's got Omnisphere, I think it's a really worthwhile, uh, worthwhile thing, and um, but the thing that really struck me was just how generous Spectrosonics are being over the whole thing. You know, it's a hundred percent of the proceeds go to the to the Bob Moog Foundation, Bob Moog Foundation rather. Um and you know, and it just and, and it seems like Eric Person's um motivations for doing this is entirely because he feels a, a debt of honor to Bob Moog and uh, his creations. Yeah, that that's yeah. that's pretty cool actually. That is pretty cool. I did like the fact it wasn't a percentage; it was like just a hundred percent, a hundred percentage. Because obviously they're going to get, but you know they they're in for credit card charges and stuff like that. As a company, you have to swallow those things. So I thought it was pretty honourable. I wonder. I wonder what sort of numbers something like that's going to sell. I mean, I don't know what the user base is for Spectrosonics, but it could raise a decent amount of cash, couldn't it? Well, Chris worked out yesterday. I think when it came on, or on the day that it came on, that if all of the contributors bought a copy, that yeah. was about four and a half thousand dollars already. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, Rich, you, are you a spe you're a Spectrosonics guy? I think. Well, I, I think I am now. I, I, I think maybe. I'm not sure if Mark is yet, but um, this, have you checked this out? I no, was not, reading uh, about. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Me, sorry. sorry, I thought hey, you were Mark. asking me. I wasn't. Uh, the answer's no. So let Rich answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I love their stuff, and I uh, saw the advert for these sounds, and I plan to uh, get them as soon as I get back to uh, Le Crib. Le Crib? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty cool uh, – I mean, there's what? We've got Hans Zimmer, Vince Clark, Jean-Michel Jarre, Crystal Method, Jordan Rudess, of course, Money Mark, <laughs> Bernie Worrell, Larry Fast, Roger Joseph Manning Jr., Ryuchi, Ryuchi <laughs> Sakamoto, Morgan Page, wow. Keith Shockley, Steve Piccaro – Frederick, I don't know who that is. Uh, Jan Hammer, Michael Bodica, Richard Devine, Patrick Moraz, Eddie Jobson, Diego Stocko, Danny Elfman, The Moo Cookbook, and of course, Dave Spears. That's <laughs> And who? And Tara Bush, of and course. Yeah. Fantastic. And, uh, my friend, so finally, my good friend Andrew say, Schlesinger. Oh, yeah, Andrew as well. Yeah, he's great. But it's brilliant for me because finally I can say I've worked on the same project as Bernie Worrell. That's a bit of a kind of <laughs> moment for me. Nice. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't. I can't think of any other kind of release that's ever had such a stellar, stellar list of contributors. You know, certainly in the software world, I think that's. Uh, it does seem be... pretty Im impressive. Um, how many patches did you do, Dave? I submitted about thirty, and I think about twenty we used. Actually, I have to say it was quite a scary moment because there's a forum on which you upload your patches. Yeah. 
And of course, I you know I've used Omnisphere for quite a while, but I haven't really got super deep in terms of you know the modulation stuff and things like that. Normally, it's the usual filtering an envelope and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and effects. And I mean, the the deeper you go, you find all these little corners that you can play with, and it all gets really interesting. And then it kind of came to this moment where I thought. Uh, I've really got to submit something now, haven't I? So I kind of put this little post up kind of with my zip file going, uh, I hope they're worthy and just kind of backed away from it all. And then I kind of braved it and looked at a couple of comments on other people's things. And, and Eric was great, actually. Eric comes on and kind of says, oh, this could be tweaked and that could be tweaked. And there were some people, he wasn't, he was never ever scathing, but some people needed more help than others. And I was kind of like, oh, here we go. But thankfully, he said they were good. So Synthesis masterclass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of, right, you're putting your nuts on the line now. I've never done any patch. Well, I'm not, I don't think I've ever done any patch design, actually. Has anybody else done stuff? Rip, Mark, you, have you done any patch design, sort of commercial stuff that's had to kind of go through yeah. that process? I have, yes. Um, but, I mean, many years ago, I used to run a sample... Uh, library for the Casio FZ1. Right. And it's bizarre, people's perception of some people think that something is great and other people think that it's not good at all. So, um, but that extended to the Casio VZ1 and that range. Um, and then I've uh, helped Nick contribute to some Moog libraries and stuff as well, which I, uh, I what can I say about that? <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm just curious as to the how how the uh, how how it all works because I've never I've never really done it. So I don't know what the price. Rich, have you done any of that stuff? You must have done working with synthesizers for the for the duration you have. Uh, yeah. Early in my time with Nile, we did uh, some signature series libraries for Ensonic. Yeah. Uh, and. I got that free with my EPS. Hey. <laughs> they said you can pick from one of the signature series, and I went, "Oh, Noel Rogers, I'll have that one." Yeah, that looks good. <laughs> so, how was the process? I mean, did, was it was it something that you just submitted, or was there feedback? Was it a two way thing? I mean, I'm guessing perhaps less than more now. I don't know. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of feedback. They were like, "Wow, great!" And uh, three, di- I had to provide, I think, three discs worth of stuff. And uh, it was cool. I, I did it a couple of times. But most of my programming is task-specific. Not I've never really written programs for a manufacturer uh, as a profit-generating venture. And it's hard for me to write programs it's, into the ether. Right. It's very easy for me to look at a musical to problem, space, imagine yeah. a audible result, and seek it out on a synthesizer and get either that or something cooler. That I can do. But – Sitting and writing patches into zero into nothingness is not always easy for me, and uh, I really respect the guys who do it well, including Dave and, and my well, friend Andrew and all those other guys. There is a difference, Nick. I think the difference is if you're writing patches for a specific song that you know what how to tailor that patch for the song. If you're writing a patch for a specific synthesizer, the synthesizer manufacturer wants you to show off the fact that when you press the X button, something happens, and when you press the Y button, something else happens. So on the Ensonic, there's kind of eight layers of different things that can happen. Look, look I'm waving, gesturing. Look. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm distracted by the video. Um, but there's eight different layers of ways that you can do the sounds in an EPS, and they want you to do lots of variations of the same sound, and it gets a bit kind of weird in the end because you're kind of creating sounds that have absolutely no purpose whatsoever other than to show off that this synth can do these extra features. And, uh, it's, yeah, that's an interesting sounds, point because now, but I, I guess now patch designers, you know, you want to get the, the, I suppose, like, what is it, the first, the first eight or the first ten or the first sixteen have to be the kind of like, this is the essence of everything, even down to how, is that how you order the patches? It's like the Venom, you know, has a particularly sort of gritty, unpleasant, but very striking and strident patch as the first one. And I guess that, I hadn't really thought about that. It's almost like sort of playlisting an album, really. But you've got so much more to say just through, you know, this programming experience. I mean, how do you approach that with yours? Do you just kind of please yourself, Dave? Or are you sort of thinking, right, once you've got the patches, you spend a lot of time ordering them in the right way? Uh, Certainly with uh, Imp, we made a big effort and probably the mini monster too to try and order them in a in a way and in fact it worked because 
I got a lot of feedback from various people who said that they tried the first patch, that full fat pad, and if they didn't reach for their credit card on that, they reached for it on the second or third. And actually, whilst I do the majority of the patch design here, it needs a third party to come in with kind of fresh ears and just play it. And in fact, Chris was brilliant on the Omnisphere thing because I'd done, like I say, like 30 odd patches and, and he came in and I just kind of went, can you just play with them? Because I wanted to see how he interacted with them and whether it inspired him or whether he just kind of went, play a couple of notes next, play a couple of notes next. And actually we killed pretty much half a day with him just coming in and noodling around and going, yeah, like that. Or you could tweak that one a little bit. So, it needs that kind of extra pair of ears at the end. Right. Sort of like a producer, almost. I guess that's what Eric... Yeah. Eric, Eric. Gaz, have you done any patch design or, you know, effects algorithm design? I mean, it's, it's the same for anything that that requires, you know, to be filled up with impressive programs. <laughs> well, I've recently done something for Gmail Software, um, yes. which was fun. Uh, and it was brilliant. <laughs> I have to say, Gaz, it was brilliant. Oh, thank you very much. Um, but I really enjoy it. I mean, I think it's about trying to... Because, I mean, when, when I play through patches on, on various other sort of uh, synthesizers, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's difficult sometimes to imagine what did they have in mind for this particular patch, you know. Um, I, I can remember some device a while ago, it had a button and you could preview it and it would pr- play a phrase. Uh, I can't remember what it was now. And that phrase would be included in the patch and would be a little demonstration of maybe the patch in action. Uh, can anyone remember what that was? I can't remember what it was now. Um, a lot of the road uh, stuff happened, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but then, you know, sometimes I look at some patches and think, God, blimey, uh, what on earth, you know, uh, what, what can you use that for? So yeah. I think, you know, um, when I was trying to do things, I was trying to think about more um, patches that could be a little bit more generic, a bit more usable in various ways. Um, but it's definitely something I'd love to do more of. It's, uh, it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, no. Patches I love, when we get certain patches, are the ones where you kind of sit down and you go, how did they do that? And then we'll have a quick conflab and we're just looking at the screen kind of going, oh, okay, set that to that and that to that and this to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in fact, one of Gaz's patches, and I, won't, I can't say what the instrument is just yet, but one of Gaz's patches had this really beautiful lifelike string quality to it. And I immediately zapped it through to Chris and went, check this out. And he came up and I played him. And then I did a variation. What did you call it? Something Clanberis Pass. Clanberis Pass. <laughs> yeah, and I did a variation on it called Signet Pass, which is where my grandparents live in Wales. <laughs> and, it, and then it turns out my parents just live like about a mile away from Signet Pass. So it's a nice little... Uh, well, wow, that's connection through patch name. I was recently talking to a guy who's working on patches for a brand new synthesizer. I can't say any more. And he was saying that he really enjoyed the naming process. You know, that was the, the best part of it. The great, it's great fun, you know. So, I mean, I think there is a, a certain amount of that. But, I mean, if you're doing thousands of them, as some people obviously do, must be quite hard not to, um, not to kind of just kind of real bass one, real synth bass two, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. The naming partner is fun. Yeah, I don't know. I got stuck in a room with a couple of um, wordy types when they were naming um, samples and stuff, and it was just like, you know, I lost the will to live in about an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll say no more, but you could get over (laughs) to spectrosonics.net and buy the thing. I think it's download only, isn't it? So just go over there and get it and uh, and do do the thing and support the Moog people. But interesting chat about patch design, definitely. I'm kind of, I'd like like to explore that more in the future. But perhaps before we do, perhaps we should just say thank you to our show sponsors, without whom... Much of this would be impossible. Uh, as we know, they've been with us for a number of years now, and uh, we, we're glad to see that they're remaining faithful. Uh, they want to talk to you this week about uh, mixers, as we know. There's uh, a whole bunch of different Yamaha mixers, as I've said before. There's loads of uh, digital mixers. I run the show through the Yamaha DM1000. I'm very pleased with the way that that works. There's also uh, a whole bunch of other high-end uh, analog and other digital consoles. But um, let's talk about the MG series. There's 12 different models from 8 channels to 32 channels. Latest generation of MG mixers also contain handy and unique features such as single knob compressor, compressor which is great for rehearsals or fast recording. Uh, built-in f- uh, Yamaha effects can also 
also reduce the load on the host computer. Uh, lots, or well, several of the MG range also contain integrated USB interface, which give you a 44.1K digital audio in and out. Also good for recording a gig or rehearsal. USB mode models even come shipped with Cubase AI5. So if you're in the UK, get along to a Pulse store. There's details on yamahadownload.com. Uh, there are various different stores within stores. I'm sure you can find the same sort of facilities <coughs> excuse me, in, uh, in the US too. And go and try one out, run some audio through it, check out the features and uh, see if it's something that fits the bill because uh, you, can't, you still, even with all this in-the-box business, you still can't beat an actual mixer. You still need them, in my opinion. And also, if you're looking at some of the high-end stuff, check out YamahaProAudio.com as well. That's got some of them sort of higher range, high-end stuff. So once again, we thank Yamaha for their continued sponsorship of the show. Let's have a look. Where was our next topic? I think I've got some videos to play. Uh, or oh, I've certainly got some audio. Uh, Vimona Performer. Anyone remember that? Anyone tried a Vimona Performer? There's a new one. Yeah, yours. A new one. Co- oh, yes, that's right, mine. There's a new one coming. Let me play you a bit of uh, Vimona Performer. Hold on. Uh, let me just find a bit where it changes into some polyphonic tones because uh, it is a, actually a four voice as well. that the Vimona Performer, uh, which was uh, originally... It's like a four-voice synth with four separate synthesizers that you control either jointly or separately. You can patch it up in a number of different ways. There is an announcement. It's not a big secret, according to the Vimona blog, that they're working on a synthesizer that will be presented at Frankfurt from the 6th of April. In two weeks' time, we'll get a chance to see. Uh, It's going to be a secret. It's not a secret. It's going to be a successor to the Dinu discontinued Performer. Also very likely that the new uh, machine will carry the name... Performer 2. Um, you had a go on mine, didn't you, Dave? What did you make of it? I yeah. mean, it's quite basic synthesizer voices, aren't they? But there's, there's, you can get some really wacky interactions between the voices. Yeah, I liked the different modes where you could stack them and layer them and split them and do all of that kind of stuff. And in fact, I, I like the FM stuff on this probably best, actually. Because you can patch voices in and out of each other and what have you. Mm. There's all sorts mm. of ways of uh, ways of doing it. But great fun. And the thing about the original performer, and I really hope that they keep this, was that it had, I can't remember how many knobs it had, it's something like 48 knobs, and they were all really nicely um, machined stainless <laughs> and chromed. Yeah. It, was, it felt really sturdy and solid, really, really nice. Rich, have you come across any Vermona stuff? Not before this morning, no. Ah, they do. They used to do. I don't know if you know anything about the company, but they started out in uh, East Germany, and uh, they had to build synths with valves because they couldn't get any chips or anything else. So you know, they just once it got opened up, they started to build some more ambitious and interesting stuff. But they do a valve reverb, I believe, which is uh, and a number of other and drum machines and what have you. Worth checking no, out. I have no idea. Worth checking out. They generally get carried by people like Analog Haven and the, the, the kind of big synth dealers. They've got reasonably good distribution, as far as I can tell. Well, regarding this synth, I, the, in the department of good things I can say about it, I like the sound of the square wave a lot. And I, I, like Dave, really enjoyed when you started frequency modulating the oscillators. I thought it sounded really good when you did that. I have to play with it to find out if that filter is doing what I wanted to do or not. Based on the sound samples that were provided, I didn't hear it doing a lot of what I often want the front end of a filter to mm. do, but I'd give it a fair shake. But there were some nice sounding waveforms, and again, the, the FM, it got good with the FM, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, to be fair, the filter is not one of immense character, certainly not on the Performer uh, Mark One. Maybe in Mark yeah. Two it will be. Mark, have you come across any of the Performer st- uh, Vermona stuff? Uh, Nick's got a very old Vimona. 
which I think he bought off uh, the, one of the Peter Forrest auctions. Uh -huh. So we had that for about, I don't know, he's had it for about 10 years, I'd say, probably. I wonder uh, what that uh, was. The only thing I can remember, but is it the one where the filters actually work backwards? So, like, as you turn the, uh, everything on it, if I remember it rightly, everything, it's either that one or another Russian synth. Polyvox, yeah, I think the Polyvox is all backwards. Yeah. Works the wrong way around. It's ever so weird. <laughs> and then my brother Adam has a, a Vimona drum machine, which is kind of like a 909 on steroids, actually. That's quite nice. Mm, yeah, a lot of people swear by them. In fact, uh, Eric Beam in the chat room says, I love my DRM3, which I think is the drum machine, or certainly a drum synthesizer. It's got the same format as the performer, but each synth is a drum voice, I believe. Gaz, have you uh, come across any of this stuff? Uh, no, I haven't, but I'm interested in the... Uh, they do a small little monosynth, don't they? Um, I can't remember what it's called now. Bla Lancet, um, Blancet. Uh, or... Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Um, and that looks really nice. Uh, but no, I... Don't know, no. Where, I mean, where can you check, check that kind of stuff out? Um, I think they might do them at um, oh, Emis, maybe. Emis. Uh, certainly Schneider's Buero in Berlin, which is unlikely to be something you're passing on a regular basis, unless you happen okay. to go there often. Um, oh, but, good excuse. But incidentally, Schneider's Buero are doing an installation at the upcoming Mug, uh, Mu, uh, Mute Electronic Music Festival um, in Berlin. Uh, in London, uh, there's some details uh, I shall check. And, and also, of course, uh, Schneidersboro are going to be exhibiting at Mesa, and we will be there and certainly getting uh, hands-on with uh, with the performer as soon as possible. But it's always nice to see, you know, new synthesizers coming out. Can't can't beat them, can you? Really? <laughs> well, you can sometimes, but there's a whole bunch <laughs> of things I want to see. I'm going to go see the performer. I want to go and see the tiny sizer as well. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing that because. Um, he said that I could review it. So I'm really excited about that. <laughs> cool. I can't wait. In fact, nice. what I'm hoping to do is get, I'm also hoping to uh, talk Mr. Dopefer into um, discounting me on some casework so I can start reviewing modular synth modules because nobody does that. And bizarrely, mm -hmm. our Dark Energy review, which we put on YouTube, has had like 70,000 views. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I think there must be a need for this kind of thing because, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty specialist, but uh, people seem to like it. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Howard's got a little tiny sizer. Be really interested to see what he does with that. Oh yeah, he, I've seen him, uh, seen him um, talking about that actually recently. Right. Um, so what else is next? Should we do the oscillocene? Because this looks, this is also something that's kind of yes. Tie. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let me just yes. go find it. This is the hollow sun oscillocene, and it's quite an interesting concept because it's purely scripted within contact, and it's based on samples of... Ooh, nice. A Hewlett-Packard sine wave generator from the 1950s. And I'm guessing all these patches are just kind of made up of messed up <laughs> sounds of that I don't know what's coming next it could be anything oh here we go we'll have one more <laughs> yeah bit of radar let's see what else we got oh that's nice it's all SFX stuff no no it's not uh uh okay oh that's not Oh, beautiful. I'll have to stop that there. Getting carried away. So we'll come back to the, the video, and I think I've de-Elvised myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is uh, just out from Hollow Sun. Uh, what they've done is they've taken, um, I think you pronounce it oscillocyne, and it's uh, scripting in contact to create a new instrument, which is actually really interesting. Obviously, the guys at Hollow Sun are really advanced, or maybe they've got someone who really knows their stuff when it comes to scripting in contact. And it just shows how powerful the contact engine is as a synthesizer, because, as I said, this is uh, Hewlett Packard's wave generator from the 1950s which i'm guessing pretty much just does a couple of things right like sine waves I yeah know. right <laughs> who I knows think. um and the the best thing about this is it's five quid 
or eight dollars. So yeah. it's kind of hard to to not buy. I mean, he's, he's obviously pricing it at sort of app kind of pricing. Um, but the, yeah. the the reason this also came up, uh, apart from the fact that um, that they contacted me and told me that it was out, was um, I also noticed that in the Venom there are some 1950s Hewlett Packard sine wave samples, <laughs> and it's obviously there's this this is a bit of a a, a go to must have kind of ge- generator. Do you know anything about this, Dave? No, I mean I did. Uh, obviously, I listened to the demos on when you sent through the the um, notes, and it sounded great. I mean, the price was like what? And then I suddenly realised, oh, okay, you need the contact engine to do that. But I mean, I don't use the contact engine that much. Otherwise, I think it's a complete no-brainer. I mean, brilliant for the radiophonics workshop fiends out there. Mm, yeah, definitely. Rich, do you know anything about Hewlett Packard and their sine wave generators from from the nineteen fifties? Valve powered. <laughs> you were nodding. Not the tube ones from the fifties, although I've probably seen one. But I did actually sample one and. Uh, in the Synclavier days and use it along with kick drums on occasion. But ah. I bought this thing 10 seconds into the first demo I heard. <laughs> nice. It did. It, I wasn't into second 12 before I had made a commitment that I was buying this thing. It sounds great. This was the highlight of my show prep was this instrument. And it's open right now. And if I it, oh. I would have to do a whole lot of I have it right up here on this keyboard right here. I've been playing it all through the show. I love this thing. Wow. I'm really impressed. Is it? And no, it's not just sound effects. You can make a lot of cool musical, interesting, sine wavy things can happen with this thing. And how, how is a lot of this stuff working? Is it cross-modulation? Is it, is, is it just sine waves or has it got other waves to offer as well? It's got other waveforms. to. Uh, well, it's got uh, – let's see. It's a little hard to read from here. Okay, there are pots on it up and down the left side that say sine ramp – Sample and hold, pulse, and shape, which is your pulse wave. And then there's uh, LFO. I don't know if there's any filtering, really. There's some FM that you can do with it. There's some enveloping you can do. It's got some pretty slamming presets it comes with. And when I say slamming, I mean really good, not necessarily highly impactful. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's got a great look to it. And it's fun. It's really big fun, and, and I mean, I would have bought it for like real money. So I'm, I'm just, just, but just, yeah, so you, it's not, it doesn't come as a player. You have to already have the contact engine, right? Is that what? I, is that right? That's my understanding. Yes, it's a contact instrument. It's, it's, uh, yeah, you got to, and I don't think it'll run in the contact player. If I'm mis- uh, now, I don't want to talk out of turn here, right? But it, uh, during a very quick reading of their download instructions, I'm pretty sure it said. You got to have a full version of Contact to run this thing. The player version won't do it. Well, I, I, I'm looking forward to hearing them in um, in future Nile Rogers productions. Perhaps as <laughs> taking the taking centre stage. <laughs> you might. You'll hear it in mind for sure. Yes, Happy Fun Team in the chat room says there's an endorsement. I'd buy it for real money. That's got to be the quote. <laughs> uh, Mark, have you come across any of these kind of obscure – because some of these scientific instruments are kind of – there's something um, that I've seen. I can't remember what, it's, what it is, but I borrowed it off uh, a guy called Charlie Jones or, uh, and used it in golf wrap. And it's a filter that's got the most ridiculous cue on it. that you can, And it's got this huge dial that looks like a massive vernier thing with huge – and, you know, some of these scientific things just can do some great things to audio, right? Yes. Got any? Um, uh, I did have something, but I couldn't get it to work, and I gave it to my friend Terry around the corner, and I don't know if he's got it to work either. But um, I think um, any old sort of any old valve equipment or old analog equipment can do all sorts of extraordinary things. Especially, I used to circuit bend valve radios and play my guitar through them. Uh, blew all the electrics in my grandparents' house at one point and electrocuted myself. Good work. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> So I like all of these, and I love the noises that this thing makes. They're truly fantastic. So, mm. Gaz, are you uh, are you a fan of test equipment? Um, well, yeah, I, I am a fan of uh, of Hollow Sun, though. Um, well, they did the uh, Omnicord as well, didn't they? Which was beautiful. Is it Omnicord? Uh, yeah, and they did uh, the Nova. The Nova, Nova, Nova Chord. That's what I meant. Yeah. Sorry, my mistake. Yeah, which uh, which I love. I really like that a lot. I've got that actually. In, I've got an Alesis Fusion, and uh, for a number of years, Steve Howell at uh, Hollow Sun was um, pretty much just keeping 
keeping that instrument alive, really. He uh, brought out some wonderful, uh, and lots and lots of free stuff all the time um, for the Elisa's Fusion, which are uh, really meticulously sampled sort of vintage uh, synths and things. Uh, so, yeah, I've got great respect for him. Um, so I'll definitely be getting this as soon as the show's over. Um, Brilliant. I think it's... Sale. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Silver Apples, they were using, like, old... Um, Oh, that's right. And um, the uh, Mothers of Invention right. had oscillators. Yeah. Was it not Jimmy Carl Black? Who was the guy who used the oscillators? Uh, Don. Was it Don Van uh, Vliet? Was it, um, it no, was... no, no, no. Um, I'm thinking of his name. <laughs> but yes, I, I, I remember seeing that stuff as well in, the, uh, um, in some documentary, rockumentary about, uh, about Zappa and the early Mothers days on oscillators. And I'm pretty sure whoever it was used to use them live as well. They they had a couple of them live because they they would be in you know they always had these kind of weird sound effects going off all over the place you know whatever it may be you know little squeaky car horns and uh, and, and the like. So I'm pretty sure. But uh, yeah, interesting. I've never I've never seen any kind of dedicated just test oscillators. You know, apart from digital ones. Well, I have to look look into that. But yeah, you can get that hollowsun.com is where to go for that stuff and all good outlets. I'm guessing it's a download, right, Rich? Yes. How big is it? Opening it on the desktop. It's uh, 102 megabytes by the time it's uncompressed. Oh, really? So there's quite a lot of waves in there then. That's interesting. Oh, okay. Let's see. When I was um, a teenager, a young teenager, in fact, I did the electronics option in the physics O level at school. Yeah, and we had a an oscilloscope, and then we had various different test oscillators oscillators <laughs> in the uh, in the physics department. So we had like a sine wave generator and a square wave generator and stuff, and we used to put things through guitar pedals just to see how it affected the waveform and stuff, which was all very interesting. Wow, that sounds like so. a great school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was kind of kept away from stuff like that. <laughs> for good reason after i decided i'd plug my battery powered alarm because the battery had gone flat into the mains yeah <laughs> there is that experimentation i never forget the time when i wondered what would happen if i put my fingers on the bars of an electric fire yeah that sort of oh, thing while it was yes. heating up yeah it, that's a big i got shot. quite yeah all up my elbow but apparently i went downstairs and i told my grandparents because it happened to be in their house because obviously they had loads of really old electronics and those little round pins um but uh i just yeah they said if i touched the other end i'd have probably died yeah <laughs> i don't know if that's a myth or not i did i but i was i was once very stoned once <laughs> and i got a big pair of scissors and i wanted to get i wanted to relight something which was had got too short to light safely with matches or something so i put i clipped it in the end of the scissors and i put it in the bar of the electric fire <laughs> nice work and the thing i was about to smoke and the scissors disappeared and one very big bang and all i was left with was the plastic kind of handles in my hands <laughs> melted the ends off the scissors so that was that game over on all counts well it's probably for the best eh? there, yeah probably for the best you didn't you don't want to be doing that with valve stuff well maybe we could no. take it we'll be talking about this kind of ancient valve equipment maybe you can take us into the 21st century do you like to see what i'm doing here this link into this 3D immersive video, which I, I must admit, um, it really blew my mind a little bit. I mean, it wasn't necessarily the best um, examples, but I've just got to show you a couple of things. I think we'll show you this thing called Mativision. Uh, I'll play something here. Um, I think I can do that. All I've got to do is double click on it. This is going to, something bad going to happen. I think something's going to crash. Oh, no, there we go. This is uh, Mativision. This is a live gig by Biffy Clyro. Unfortunately, that day, that bit of death is um, there was something up with the bandwidth when I recorded this video, and it's a little bit. There we go. It's back in. Ride, ride, 
but I won't play it too much more because it was a little bit um, clunky. So I'm going to go back to uh, to our video. So, but but what really got me excited about this was the fact that you have the. the I think that that particular show was uh, Biffy Clyro. It was an MTV filming thing. They were filming it all over the place, and they had five or four of these kind of 360 degree HD cameras. So what they do is they're filming. They're filming the um, the show, and you you get to you don't drive the camera, you drive the view of the overall thing. So you can watch the show from any angle. You can look at the ceiling if you want, or the crowd, or the front row, or the bass player's foot, or you know whatever. And it just struck me as wow, was that cool? Or was it just me? Am I, is that not cool, or is it pretty cool? Can you see that as maybe something that's going to be happening in the future? Imagine, you know, Muse sell out ninety thousand at Wembley, stick a couple of these on, charge a couple of quid per viewer. Hello, you sell out, you sell out again, and just keep going until and well until whenever. Great idea, though, isn't it? Gaz, would you would you pay? Ooh. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, if it was a gentle giant ref- uh, reformation or something like that. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, it's a cool idea, though. Yeah, I think, uh, um, yeah, maybe just to sort of, uh, you know, if you want to sort of uh, get the right angle to look at the guitarist's fingers for learning a few licks. Um, I mean, obviously, you go, I mean, you go to a lot of gigs and you play a lot of gigs. I mean, I'm thinking it's yeah. perhaps going to be more... Uh, stay-at-home dads like me who don't get out much <laughs> or you know kids who can't make it to Wembley when they're in you know Philadelphia or whatever and they want to see this this one-off big event that they can check out I don't know to me it seemed like wow that has actually got a lot of potential I don't know Rich were you skeptical or did you think mm, you know what that could be cool oh I loved it and I, what I loved most about it was the fact that you could select different cameras in yeah. real time while the music was playing and check out different guys and what they were doing at different times and that each camera had a full 360 degree degree swing so that people who don't often get to see what it looks like from the stage can actually see what it looks like from the stage which is really cool I think but there's a history with this I mean QuickTime VR was the first time I saw something like this and this seems to be based on similar technology at least in terms of its limitations and uh it's just that they've synced up multiple cameras doing it. And, uh, yeah, I think it's really cool. And, um, yeah, loved it. Love yeah, to see I, more of it. I think it would I – mean, I mean, I imagine this stuff these, – these things have seven or eight camera heads or maybe it's 11 camera heads in them. And I think what they do is they go – they have a server. They go and they – so they, they create a sort of amorphic – image that you then pan around when you're using a specific flash player to see the, the streaming stuff. I mean, pretty cool. Mark, what did you think? Did it fire your I imagination? It. I liked it. I thought it was brilliant, actually. And uh, what I actually found is that my brain wanted to feel that it was real enough that I got annoyed that I was static. In other words, I think that after about a few minutes of watching it, I wanted to get up and walk around, and obviously that's the next sort of phase in the technology, isn't it? Oh, so that you I mean, like, being, right. a, being able to stand there on in a fixed position and look all around you is kind of interesting, and or you can zoom in and out, can't you? I think, or and focus on different things. But to actually be able to get up and walk around, um, and the reason I suppose I'm saying that more is because you linked to two videos, didn't you? You linked to another video of of a, a fixed position camera standing in a crowd of people walking past. Yeah, there was and that one. I almost felt like I wanted to catch up with certain ones of them and have Well, you could follow them. them. You, if you, you could fo- yeah, that's right. There was, it's a bit like the Google cam where it's like mounted on a truck and it was going through a demonstration and you could just see all the way around all the time while it was going on. It's quite interesting. Uh, I, I mean, I think... I mean, whether, whether or not a computer screen is the best format to get immersed in that experience or not, I don't know, probably not. If you had it on an HD television and you could get immersed in that experience and play with a joystick and stuff, it could get really interesting, actually, couldn't it? I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I think that's down to the bandwidth because essentially if you're talking about each part of the image is full HD and then you've got... A three hundred and six—that's a shit, a hell of a lot of data to be <laughs> shoving down wow. the internet. But I mean, those things aren't live; they were just kind of streams of it. But it sounds like, uh, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty uh, powerful. You know, like 
Yeah, on Blue Blu-ray discs. Uh, you know how like sort of DVDs have got sort of certain amount of interaction. Uh, I, I haven't actually used any Blu-ray, but is that a little bit more powerful? So, so would it be good on Blu-ray? You know, I don't know that it's because you can't run another app. You'd have to run an application to be able to pan around it. I mean, there are, you can get um, multiple camera angles in, in DVD. It is capable of that, isn't it? I mean, I'm guessing what it does is stop down some of the streams and you have them lower bandwidth and you just go, I want to look at it here, I want to look at it here. You don't get full streaming. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I might be wrong about that. I've not experienced full, full. Rich, you look like you want to contribute there. You get full stream. Ah, okay. And uh, the Sheik, Budokan DVD from 96 does this. Uh, there's multiple cameras. Oh, that's cool. And you cool. can select them as a player. If you have a player that's capable, you can select from multiple camera angles. Right. I don't know. I think I would... I, would, I mean, there are some things that I would actually... I think I'd pay a couple of quid to see that. I know, Dave, would you... Is that something that you kind of thought, hmm, that's got potential? Because, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be just gigs. I mean, someone in the chat room said, you know, Formula One or sporting events, whatever. There's loads of... Th- I mean, perhaps it wouldn't work so well for something which had lots of tiny little things that you had to focus on, but large kind of vistas and what have you would work, right? Yeah, I mean, some of those other things you sent through were really quite cool. Um, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I, I found myself... There was one particular band, I could forget who it was, that I was looking at. I found myself looking at the crew... <laughs> yeah, yeah. but the point is you can can't you? I found myself looking at the string player's legs which I was very ashamed to, uh, to <laughs> I called the missus in at one this. point and went, sorry go on Mark I was going to say if they're going to do this they're going to need to give the roadies a dress code because the, you know, they almost become part of the show don't they you can't wear that to work son all they all have to all they all have to wear green and so they become you know green screened out or something you know they become invisible they just look hey, like predator like they look like predator just yeah, moving yeah. across the across the just vis- see their eyes you just see their eyes and there's a sort of ripple in a human shape I know, but I, I mean, the interesting thing, a lot of these examples were in very controlled environments. There was, uh, I think there was one that was on the MTV thing. That, that, that was Biffy Clyro I played, but there's another one uh, which was a bit, was just one of those in the camera. I think um, I can probably pr- quickly play that. Did you see that one? The one that was uh, the MTV one, which was a single camera. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that was, I mean, that was kind of good as well, and that's, that, that sort of worked. And the, uh, what I liked with that is that you could look out and see the audience. You could kind of almost feel right. like, this is really exciting. I bet it's great being on stage looking at all those people really enjoying themselves. You know, you, you, get, you got that. I mean, it's the same way that, you know, the BBC uh, coverage of Glastonbury Festival, I think they do that brilliantly well. And they do it well because I still get the sense of excitement from it. And then whether that's because there's lots of camera moves and, you know, really brilliant editing and, you know, the sound is great and the, the light is brilliant, all of that. It's just, I think the fact that you can drive is, is, uh, could make it much more fascinating, perhaps. Or do you think too much of a, uh, a lead singer's up-the-nose shot... <laughs> For the entire gig might just get a little bit boring after a while. You, you might make the wrong creative choice. Do we need someone else to make the creative choices? I noticed something about the Glastonbury coverage because um, I was uh, back. I was there in two thousand and nine, and I noticed that on the big video screens, um, which was the same footage as that was kind of getting fed out as the kind of the live coverage, um, the weather looked so much nicer in the video screen than it was where we actually were so you know so they were obviously sort of using some temperature or something on it you Curti, know? yeah well i mean and, that uh, you know you could look at look at what they did for that biffy clyro thing and it looked pretty good i mean it, you know but that's just high quality video and you know color balance and stuff yeah <laughs> great from a gear spotting point of yep. view because you, you always get loads of people going oh what did they use on that particular track and what did they use on that tour and finally yeah. you go oh check it out yeah but it did get much better, I have to say. I might be jumping the gun a little bit, but for me, the hologram was just it. Oh, yes, that's the other thing, isn't it? I, I, sent, uh, I didn't actually, uh, yeah. didn't actually yeah. encode that video, but the hologram thing, which is basically it's a similar... Co- what they do is you put on a live event in one place, I mean, the, the, and you stream a hologram of a holographic projection of the band playing to another venue. Uh, the example I set through was actually uh, animated characters dancing around on stage, in, in a sort of Japanese thing or an Eastern um, an Eastern culture thing, where you know it's like anime kind of cutesy boy girl thing, which is is, is culturally sort of 
quite a big part of the pop scene there, right? But you can do that with live action as well, apparently. I've not seen that. So you can have a live action band playing in one place, streamed to concert halls around the place and reprojected in holographic film. And that's, that's kind of fairly bonkers. Now this, yeah, but this gets awesome because this means old codgers like me, because no one's going to pay to see a slightly balding forty-year-old podgy bloke play live. <laughs> now I, I could know. completely reinvent reinvent myself as a kind of anime character, but why don't we? Even better than that, we could put a complete twist on it, and I could have a holographic audience in my living room who go Yay! at everything I do. <laughs> do it the other way around. Yeah, oh, that's, a, that's a good idea. That's a much better idea. <laughs> <laughs> satisfy the narcissist in me <laughs> i like the sound of that yeah that is a good idea and then they can all take their clothes off at the same time <laughs> well i'm sure they could i'm sure anything is possible it just depends how much money you have to spend on such a fruitless exercise <laughs> but it's i don't know i just think that there's a there's definitely a market for this i mean the person that told me about this was really excited and it was from a gear point of view it's like it means that if we had somebody playing you know our brand of gear and we could sort of somehow you know make sure that the camera was close to <laughs> closer to the gear so you could really see what it was and what it was doing you know all sorts of possibilities there or just That's for clinic a- just for clinics or just for kind of you know gear demos and that sort of thing yeah, and that's a really interesting perspective because don't forget the Beeb go around putting stickers over anything that's branded, don't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, a very, very interesting concept. And I think, I mean, I, I'd not really see, I, I know the QuickTime VR thing is uh, has been done before, but it doesn't stream very well, QuickTime VR, because it's got quite a lot of uh, data and also it branches. It doesn't pull the whole image at the same time. It's actually got nodes that you kind of go, because we used QuickTime VR when I was doing a, uh, a game uh, many years ago and you have to sort of, I'm going this way, click, right, load the next, you know, it doesn't work in quite the same way. There'd be more, too much latency, I think, with using a pure QuickTime VR, unless you download. It'd be okay for the an archived version of it, but not the actual live thing, perhaps. Because I don't know whether you, I don't know if it's possible to actually author QuickTime VR live on the fly. That might be uh, much, a bit much for any process. Because it's all obviously all those images are stitched together and compensated, and everything's kind of made to look like it's one camera, and it works very well. I don't know, Mark, would you would you would you kind of want to see that? Would you kind of pay to see that if you couldn't to make it to, to see a, a, a gig of you know of something that you really wanted to see, or you know just on you know well I'll give it a go. I mean I just. I don't know. Would it generate no, enough? But you know what? If I went, if I went to a gig, and I loved it, and I came out the gig, and I thought that was just brilliant. And then you and could buy that. See it again with as close to that experience as possible. But then, I mean, I, if I go to a gig, I've only got one perspective on that gig anyway, where I'm standing or where I move to in the audience. So if I can, if I can watch the gig again and again from every perspective, if I knew it was something that I'd loved the first time round and I could just have new perspectives on something I'd already seen, then I'd go and buy it, definitely. Yeah. But that's like what the Beastie Boys did, wasn't it, with their, D- their DVD, sort of like, awesome, I shot that or something it was called, wasn't it? And, uh, and they basically just got lots and lots of fans to all send in the footage. Um, so then you could watch the gig and just cut to different audience perspectives. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like, it's like the multicam videos. It's what um, Nine Inch Nails and people have been doing. Now it seems to have become the norm where, you know, fans will send it all in and then either somebody will cut it together or other fans get access to it and cut their own versions to it. And it's, uh, yeah, I know, it seems like a pretty uh, good way of giving it the experience of it. If you're in a three-dimensional kind of camera image and you can just move your joystick around and and find different things or s- spin it back and look at different aspects of it, I think that's what makes it interesting rather than yeah. rather than loads of fans shooting it. I think that idea of it actually being a three-dimensional thing that you can explore it becomes like a it becomes a bit like Second Life, like a world that you can explore rather than just watching a static piece of. You could you see, know, I mean, you could, I suppose you could see this, this tying in with something like Second Life where you, because they put on event. I don't know if that, I've not been there for years, I don't know if it still runs, but you would imagine, you know, you go somewhere and then you sort of pay an entry to go to a gig and it's covered in that way rather than done with kind of uh, CGI models I of just, people. Maybe you could get one of these cameras mounted on a hat 
and then you could just walk around it. When you get home, you could just sort of like rewatch your walk from all different angles. <laughs> see, you, see you as behind you checking you out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, I want to go back. What was? What? Where's that girl? She was looking at my ass as I walked past. Yeah. <laughs> it's that augmented reality thing, isn't it? But yes, as everybody, uh, as all periodically comes up in the chat room, it all comes back to porn, really, doesn't it? I mean, you can imagine this is probably the porn industry is going crazy for this kind of thing, and you could, you know, imagine how it might work, for instance. But, uh, but yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. I think this is, uh, it's just an interesting idea. And I suppose what it might lead to are, are sort of more super events, single one-off events. So instead of doing a tour and playing one gig every night or every other night, you do one a week and you simultaneously broadcast it in massive fashion so everybody can see it. And maybe you buy, you know, if you buy a ticket to the gig, you can get to see all the other ones. And there's all sorts of ways of remonetizing. you know, I mean, it's... You know, in these days when um, those one-off experiences are, are just come and go, and if you're not there, you miss it. It might be, um, it might have legs. Think, here's another thing, right? If, I mean, they must if they can project a holographic image of uh, the band on a full-size stage at another venue, right? Mm. If I go and watch a band and I don't buy a good ticket, you can guarantee I'll have a seat a good 200 feet from the stage, right? Yeah. So if I could project a holographic image of the band playing on my living room table, and I could sit at the other end of the table, then the band would be about the same size for me as the experience of going and watching the band. Because let's face it, if you're a long way away from the band, they're tiny, right? So if I could project that image, you know, I'd turn all the lights off in my living room and sit there and project the band and just kind of have an experience of being I'd, i'm not sure I'd, I'd have to get my gina my partner to come in and shove me around a bit every yeah. so often uh, you'd have to get some special special sort of um, ven- venue smell <laughs> perfume and scratch and sniff cards perhaps at different times <laughs> but i mean isn't that what they're trying to do with 3d tv just make the whole thing more real so you feel like it's just more real and more immersive but this is this is not the same thing as you driving the view, I think. But, yeah, I, I, I can see where you're going. It's just that I don't think the technology is there for holographic projection on, on a, a, a domestic scale, consumer level, just yet. I mean, it's bound to come, though, isn't it? Let's face it. It's great from a kind of critique point of view as well, isn't it? It's just like, can we just rewind that bit? Let's all go and have a look at the guitarist. You see what the, he fluffed that note there when he was moving from the G to the A? And, and it become yeah. like a kind of question of sport or some kind of sports analysis, but music analysis. It's, I've always wanted to do that. Well, no, you can't do They must have auto-tuned that because his fingers weren't where that note says that his fingers were, etc., etc. Et I've always wanted to stop doing that. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Well, maybe this will help because your eyes will have such a visual feast. You'll be sort of checking out the uh, other aspects of the show. I don't know. I think it's. I think. I think it's got. Or perhaps I think it's going to have a lot of potential. I can imagine this, you know, because uh, this guy Matty, uh, the Matty Vision, they're a Greek company. They own the technology for this particular thing. Uh, Immersive media is yet another one. It's a similar concept, but these guys have nailed the multi-camera audio in sync kind of thing. I guess they've got a much more slick delivery method. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much it costs to do a gig like this, to broadcast a gig on that. I mean, it just, it's got to be uh, thousands of thousands, you know, I imagine it's enormous amounts of money. But they're static, so I guess you don't have to have people walking around with cameras. You know, you can just, everybody can drive their own thing. So I, I think that's, I think it's got legs, and I think we're going to see it. I think we're going to see more of we it. We could trial it here, couldn't we? We could, well, it almost, we've almost say, got yeah. it going now, haven't we? <laughs> Look, 3D. What do you want to see, folks? Look. Oh, oh, oh dear. That's it. I yeah, brought I the house down. I've just, uh, I've just brought the menu up on my screen, and I can't see anything anymore <laughs> by moving. Now he's done it. Oh, don't. Uh, yeah, we could do all of that stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm kind of, I'm into the idea of that. I like the idea of it working. But uh, we shall see. I mean, it didn't work very well here. It worked much better in my house. But Ow. do check it. Mark's taking us outside. Gaz has crashed, yeah. I believe. There's my his... car. Oh, cool. There we are. 3D immersive experience, this is. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> if I Tim go Lee too Vision. far, I'll lose, the, I'll lose the broadband, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you haven't, got, you haven't got any wires on your lap? You're totally wireless. 
Excellent. Yeah. I hope that wasn't Gaz um, having some sort of uh, accident. He's been very unaccident prone so far this week, which is... Ah, here he comes. He's coming back. You back uh, there, Gaz? Yeah, Skype crashed on me. It's never crashed before. So what happens? Can you just join the call again from your end? That's pretty cool. So I don't, I don't have to come and get you. So in fact, oh. I, have, I have to do very little. <laughs> I'll just sit here and wait for you to come back <laughs> without having to. Uh, right. That's brilliant. It, it called. It, it called me back. I, oh, someone really? called me back. It wasn't yeah. me. Uh, actually, that's another thing I noticed on Google today on Gmail. I'd written an email which saying, you know, it was a draft of uh, of something, and you know, see attached document, right? And I sent it to somebody else just to sort of check the words out. Didn't bother attaching the document, and Gmail said. Did you mean to attach a document to this? I noticed the word attached came up in your email of you, and you've forgotten to attach something because there's nothing attached to it. No. <laughs> Woo! Spooky. Probably heading towards the end of the show. I think we'll skip the uh, OP1 um, until we get some more demos, um, but that looked quite interesting as well. Maybe we'll go and see the, the Teenage Engineering OP1 in the flesh. I've, again, I've requested, a, uh, requested a review, but they've all sold out everywhere. But anyway, that seems like we're probably at a good point to um, to bring the show to a, an end, unless anybody has anything further to add. Yeah, uh, just my ongoing thing that I'm doing at the moment, this one project, um, need to simulate a Leslie and uh, wondering what's the best way around it. Maybe using either my synth or uh, or if anyone can recommend a really good Leslie pedal that's not Dynacord made one didn't they Dynacord made one there are there are Leslie simulators in quite a lot of uh, I'm pretty sure there's, a, there's some stomps with that Rich you look like you're about to give us the facts there well well I used to use uh, Native Instruments B4 back when they used to sell the damn thing uh, which also would show up in my DAW as an effect and was available just to use as a sort of a Leslie processor for that purpose <laughs> I'm not sure uh, if they've built that functionality into contact now that they've migrated their organs into their sampler. I'm trying to not. I want, don't want to use a computer though. You see, so it's uh, right. It's oh, you mean for live pur- for live purposes? Yes. Yeah. No, I'm not. I, yeah. I won't be able yeah. to help you with that. Now. Uh, I, I know had, um, Boss SE SE50 had a uh, Les- quite a good Leslie simulator. I had a Korg pedal. I think it was called an AX1 as well, which was like a guitar pedal. And it had like a wah-wah kind of attachment on it. And and the thing that made that kind of fairly realistic was the fact that you could, with the pedal, speed up the top part of the horn as against yeah. the bottom part of the, the horn. The different because rates of speed, yeah. I think part of the simulation is to have different rates of spin on those things as one slows down against the other because the heavier horns take longer to speed up or slow down. That's they? right. So, That's right. exactly um, right, yeah. That was quite... Quite good. There is a boss pedal, an RT20, I think it's called. And again, I was just wondering, haven't had a chance to check one out yet. So I was just wondering if anyone had or if there was recommendations, really. Um, um, number cruncher in the chat room, Korg G4 rotary speaker emulator. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, somebody else says Fairbanks, but I'm not sure what that means exactly. Uh, <laughs> The boss is probably worth looking at because it's going to have the same algorithms. Mm. And the, um, the SE effects range was, you know, we're talking 10, 15 years old. So, I mean, I'm sure they've... I, I used to have an SE50. Mm. Sold it for 20 quid or something. Did you? I used to use it for the... Uh, what did I... It had quite a... Yeah, I can't remember. I used to, it had a nice reverb in it, I seem to remember. Mm. But it was a nightmare to program. It was... The, the SE70 that was that superseded it was a great unit. Um, and... The, uh, my the guitarist in my band used to have one and then he lent it to somebody uh and then they had their car stolen and it was in the boot and then uh, the car got and the car got burnt out and oh they no. found just the bit the, just the burnt out shell of the se 70 oh that's a sad story isn't it um no sonic 410 in the chat room says it's a fairbanks uh roto pedal um that came out at nam 2011 so it might be worth looking at there oh Thank you. I, I mean, we were going to use a laptop, but in the in the rehearsal, the laptop froze, and it just gave us the willies there. So we just yeah, said, no, you don't really want to be no. dealing with that, do you? Well, folks, um, I think we're probably heading towards the uh, the, the final stages. So uh, it just remains for me to say goodbye and thank you to my guests here. It's been a real pleasure to have you. Uh, I'll start with Mark in the corner there, Mark Tinley, likebeing.com, because I don't think I did you a proper introduction. 
Um, I was I was no. flummo- I was flummoxed. It's, it, oh, no. There's too many things. There's too many <laughs> things here to be. I need a producer, or I need some big buttons I can press to make things work, rather than multiple computers. Oh, well, thank- I mean, it was all my fault for being late. So thank you very much for having me. Most enjoyable. You're more than welcome. Thank you very much, Mark Tinley, for joining us. And uh, we'll go across to Rich Hilton over here, um, also for joining us. I'm guessing you you off into the studio today. Uh, not sure. I think there's coming to be a sizable snowstorm over the next 24 hours. What, again? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, the snow is back. It's returned. Well, Lordy, I hope we don't get any here, but it's been very pleasant. And uh, In fact, I didn't wear a coat today for the first time ever. And I'm going to go up here to Dave Spears now and say thank you to him, um, g4software.com, for all good things. I think, is there stuff coming out from you soon, or um, are you um, just going to keep keep your head down? Uh, yeah, I'll keep my head down for the minute. We did get we did get an incredibly nasty bug sorted uh, ah. last week, so that was, a real, that was a real major step, actually. Excellent. So, what yes, ju- that's all just, I can say at the minute. Was it just a reboot? Get in, <laughs> yes. Get, yeah, in, get yeah, out of the car. Yeah, it's just turning the computer on. <laughs> <laughs> Reform out of the drive. Reinstalling. Anyway, thanks, Dave. Thank you very much. And next week will Thank be you. our penultimate one before Mesa. Um, we won't be uh, won't be uh, broadcasting for Mesa because I'll be uh, at the show. And over there, um, there's, you can see the floating head of Gaz with a rotating icon on it while he tries uh, to reconnect his video. It doesn't seem like it's happening yeah. for you. But Gaz Williams, yeah, songsurgeon.co.uk, thank you very much for joining us this week. Thank you very much. And um, may you all have a wonderful week. And that was Sonic Talk number 212. Don't forget, um, if you're listening to this and you're wondering what we've been talking about video-wise, we have a marvellous full-stream multi-camera video stream live thing going on with uh, people joining us in the chat room. Lots of people there this week. Thank you very much. Uh, SonicState.com forward slash live, 4pm every Wednesday. Obviously, this will now be, uh, if you're listening to that and you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll probably be listening to it via iTunes or whatever after the event. But that was Sonic Talk number 212. Thanks very much for listening, everybody.